Hi, this is John Salarco, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. What a tragic mothering Sunday for Fulham. The handy referee of Chris Kavanagh strikes again and whilst fans right now are fighting with our own anger with how long Mitrovic should be banned for, the hypocrisy of the FA and what a dweeb Chris Kavianna is, there is no taking away from the fact we destroyed ourselves at Old Trafford and one of the best opportunities to get to another FA Cup final since 1975. We were brilliant for those 70 minutes and then it... It's almost as if the Red Devil himself zipped open up a portal into this world and created 70 seconds of absolute mind-controlling evil for our squad. Lots to discuss on this and a media Mitrovic hunt on the go. With me are Tom Greytrex and Matt Stato-Arta. I'm Jay Mack and this is your Fulham Focus Podcast. Fulham. Right, that's good, good to be here, sort of. Um, I think this is probably one of the weirdest things I've ever witnessed um, being a Fulham fan uh, <laughs> during a game. I actually made the journey and um, I, I, I never want to go back there again. This is my second time and I, I, I hate Salford and I, I hate the whole vibe of it. And um, being amongst, unfortunately, some Man United fans and Fulham fans of this game, it was, just, it was a really, really tough watch. Um, I'll go straight to you, Tom, just with your opening thoughts on on this uh it's just the fans you know ian rice said on the show the ua fans didn't deserve that and it's just would you say this is one of the maddest things you've seen on tv and live for a game (laughs) you know i think it is one of the most surreal experiences that i've ever been watching watching fulham live um you know i've been to old trafford a few times i've seen us play well a few times i've seen us win once um but we were just doing so well in every respect of the game. We were completely outplaying them, we're outthinking them. Um, the tactics were spot on. Um, and I, I said to the guy I was with, just saying, I don't think I've ever seen us play this well here. And then suddenly within the space of a minute or a minute or two minutes, completely gone. Um, and, you know, I've been at some games, I've seen Fulham relegated live a couple of times. I've seen us um, lose games right at the end or concede late equalisers. Um, never has it ever felt anything like that? It just just felt like it had been ripped away. Um, and the stakes were so high and we were doing so well and then it was just gone. I think I stood there like lots of others that stayed till the end, stunned for the last sort of 20 minutes, trying to trying to uh, understand what I'd just seen and what the consequences would be. And um, yeah, pretty horrible experience, frankly, and one I hope I don't have to repeat. Yeah, I, I can't recall uh, the blood draining from my face as much from any experience as, as, as that one. I mean, maybe the only thing that slightly compares to it would be Dennis Adoy um, when he got his red card at Wembley, but obviously that, that ended out rather well. This, after playing so well, Stato, and just getting the tweet, well, retweet from the club, you know, Mitrovic had scored his 12th goal now in all competitions and broken the line finally, and it, it just gets completely stolen apart. I've just never... I completely just was gobsmacked and wanted to leave because the game was immediately over and it was just such a horrible, unfair thing to happen, but only ourselves to blame, right? Yeah, it, it's funny that you mention you know, things that are comparable to what happened and the only thing that comes to mind that is remotely relatable is two years ago when we were in the Premier League and it was that last-minute penalty that Lookman took for West Ham. mm just for the pure shock factor of what happened and you know how he 
missed it and how bad that was. But this was just so much worse. Like I, I it just watching it all unravel before my eyes, like within the space, I think it was like 260 seconds or something like that. Like we were so in control. We, the game was there. I was so confident that we were winning that game. I, you know, we had a fantastic first half and during that I was thinking, okay, we, we could be in with a chance here. This United team are rubbish. We've actually shown up. We've got all of our players um, actually putting in a good shift. We've got our full strength 11. Second half, we picked straight up where we left off. We got that goal and it's like, okay, here we go. This might actually happen. And it was just, we're getting more and more confident. And then it, it just went. And I, I, I'm still struggling to really to kind of comprehend what happened now, to be honest, because mm. it, it, it's, it doesn't help that they scored their two goals within the space of that time as well. And it just, that was it. It was done. Like there was no coming back from that. And suddenly we were out of the FA Cup. It, it's just truly baffling. It's, it's very witchy. I have to say, it felt all very, very witchy. And at the moment, the dust hasn't really actually settled. There's still so much, so much uh, conversation going on on social media, on forums about all this, and it doesn't feel like Tom a, v- a very still feels like not a very nice time to be a Fulham fan after that. Um, you know, it, it makes you wonder if. If we still had only 10 men and it was just 1-1 and Mitro and Silva hadn't lost their heads, I mean, do you reckon we could have potentially won that game? It's just there's so many questions going on and I just don't really know where to begin, but I'll start with that. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I think, you know, we... Um, uh, I don't... You know, where you're sat at Old Trafford in that sort of corner for the away end, it's quite hard to see what happened. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't, and I didn't get to see, didn't get to see it, you know, a playback of it until when I got home um, after midnight. Cause I was driving home, um, l- heard a lot of comments from people on radio phone-ins about it, some of which are bizarre. But um, I, I think it felt to me as though, you know, when he first gave the penalty, or you could see that he hadn't the changed his decision and gave the penalty. Um, I would have thought, well, we would have, you know, even after he sent Silver off, actually, I thought, well, I'm going to concede a penalty because. Uh, we probably would have, probably they probably would have scored it. That we would still be in that game with ten men, I think. But you know, as soon as, as soon as you're down to nine, I mean, you could see that even the the, the few times where we managed to get the ball forward, you could see after we went down to nine, there was no one to play it to. Didn't matter, mm-hmm. did it? You know, it'd get completely gone. There's no way you're winning that with nine men. Ten men, we might have managed to hold out and, and get to extra time, and maybe you never know. But then I might have rediscovered his penalty saving fall from a few yeah. years ago. We might have we might have just done but nine men, no chance. And it didn't surprise me at all. They scored the equalizer and the second goal within the space of a couple of minutes because you could see it everybody on that pitch, all the Fulham players on that pitch, and probably all the Man United players on that pitch knew yeah. what the result was gonna be. Sadly. I just, I just still can't fucking believe what happened to be honest like, it's just absolutely crazy the more I talk about it and I'm not even I'm not feeling better the more I talk about it hopefully I will by the end of the pod stats I mean do you, I don't want to talk about the game forensically with you guys because I feel like we know what the juice is here we know what the talking point really is all about we can talk about how well we played and I thought you know performances from Diop and Reem and Polina being back Brilliant, inspiring, great. But this is the real, the real issue at the moment. And I just want to know: Do, do you think Stato that actually the crux of the blame here lies with Marcus Silva? I mean, he must have set the wrong tone from the beginning of this match, knowing that Chris Kavanagh has a bad record with us. And do you think it's possible he just got in to the players' heads that we need to watch out for this guy, and that sets the precedent for us losing 
control at all, or Mitrovic certainly. Uh, I think I think the best way to look at what ha- look at what happened is to kind of split it into three distinct parts. Part one being what Willian did. Part two, what Mitro and Silva did, and then part three, the fallout that has happened in you know, the couple of days that have happened since. But if we go back to before all of that, and like you yeah. said before the game, Marco Silva setting the tone with Chris Kavanagh. Yes, maybe. Um, we know, you know since well, since the game's finished, we have seen that um, it was you know, um, people found out that the, that. Chris Kavanagh was the referee in the game against Preston North End last year, where they scored that clear handball goal. He was the referee in the West Ham game this season, where they scored those two goals with handball that should have been overturned. Um, that I believe even Howard Webb apologised um, to us on behalf of that. Mm-hmm. So obviously there is some history there. And it didn't help that throughout the game there were two very questionable penalty calls that we should have had. And that does kind of stoke the anger. It does contribute to what happened. But you can tell that Marco, he wasn't happy with having Chris Kavanagh as a referee. His post-match comments showed that by saying, you know, he, he referenced those games. Yes, he did. Saying, you know, we've had the ref in the past and it hasn't helped things. So going into this game, you do wonder whether Marco and Fulham had a, you know, were thinking, oh, the ref will be against us. Yeah. We're going to be against it. And those tempers may have boiled over. And that might have been a big factor into what happened. Really. Yeah. I mean, what do you, would you say it all starts from the manager there, Tom? I mean, I watched, I was really close to the manager's dugout. And I, I've got to say, I, we could talk about William in a minute. It's definitely... It's definitely a penalty. Whether it's a red card or not, I mean, technically by the law it is, but I personally feel like in today's modern game that should maybe be a yellow if it's actually proven to be accidental. You know, it's not like Luis Suarez actually deliberately trying to be a goalkeeper sort of block. But in terms of Marcus Silva, I was right by the dugout and I've got to be honest, he was just being a mouthy nuisance to the linesmen and the refs the in- from minute one. And I, I could, it didn't surprise me that he got sent off. And I just want your thoughts on where you think this can all be blamed. And look, I mean, I, I'm not sure that necessarily um, that Marco Silva had sort of set that up in terms of the players' minds mm. from the start, because actually, from the player, you didn't see any sign of not being in control sure. during the rest of the game. Um, but I, I completely agree with you because I, you know, from where you sat in the in, in the away end of Old Trafford in that corner, you can see the dugouts quite clearly. And I, I remarked to people I was with a couple of times could see Silva, you know, really losing it with the linesman. You know, it wasn't just normally that having a bit of a moan at the fourth officials, what they normally do, but he was right in the linesman's face at least twice during the game that I saw him, possibly more. Um, uh, and so, you know, I think, but we've seen that from him before. We've seen that not just this season, last season. You remember at, at Bournemouth when he got sent off um, uh, by um, the other great referee that we have uh, frequently. Um uh, whose name's gone out of my head now, but I, um, but you know the guy that refereed the Bournemouth game has done other games oh, yeah. for, for us and been pretty poor. Um, uh, so you know, I, I, I don't think I don't think necessarily in the players' minds that was that was what had happened. Um, uh, I think Marco Silva, though, really, I'm I'm, I'm just gutted that a, a coach who is as talented as he is, who's got so much out of so many players, um, really 
has a bit of a blind spot when it comes to the way he interacts on the bench. Because it's not the first time you've seen it. It's probably more extreme this time than other times. But you see it quite often from him. Um, you know, he has been had four yellow cards, I think, um, from the from the bench this season as well. Had to obviously serve that suspension that meant he was up in the television gantry at Sunderland for that for that FA Cup game. So, you know, it's not it's not um, a new experience. Um, and he knows, because I know, that prior to the start of the season, when the referees, uh, PGMOL, do their go-round all the grounds and talk to all the managers and everything else, they know that they've been warned about this and the, the reason why they're cracking down on some of that type of behaviour, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to discuss in relation to Mitrovic. And so Marco Silva should have known better. Absolutely known better. And it doesn't matter that it's a referee who is one of the worst referees in the Premier League by any objective uh, analysis, including the PGMOL um, uh, rankings, who almost got demoted from the list uh, last season. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he missed various other things during the first part of that game, uh, including what looked to me as though it should have been a penalty for us. And um, Yeah, the Luke Shaw push, exactly. Yeah, And didn't punish certain fouls from Manchester United players, but did appear to for us. It doesn't matter. He knows that as a coach, as a head coach, an experienced manager in the Premier League and in other top leagues, he knows that there is a line and he must know in his heart of hearts that he crossed it. Now, a post-event justification by trying to make it all about that particular referee, I think probably was because he knew he was in trouble, so he thought he might as well get it all out there anyway. Mm. Um, it's not a defence. Um, it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't justify it. And actually, when it comes down to it, who am I most disappointed in in the whole of that uh, episode. It's not Mitrovic, it's not the referee, it's Marco Silva. Fair enough. Go on, uh, as, a, as a small counterpoint, and I completely agree with everything you said there, But and this might be my ignorance throughout the season, but has Marco Silva been any worse than any other Premier League manager this season? You look at the likes of Arteta, Klopp, uh, Conte, and they are just as bad as shouting at the officials than as he is. Yeah, and Klopp's been sent sent off this season, hasn't he? Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the stats on what others that have that have managers that have been sent off or received yellow cards. But I mean, I know, and they know, and they all know that it's something which, from the start of this season, there has been an active policy um, to tolerate less. Yeah. And then you, he is a professional, and he should know that. And it doesn't matter. You know, the emotions of the game are there, obviously, amongst the players and the coaching staff and the supporters but he knows and he should know um, and he's had you know he's had warnings about this before he should have known not to get to that point where he you know he shouldn't have gone right up to the referee when he was looking at the VAR check and well, I don't know what he said and there's a dispute about what he actually said but it didn't even really matter what he yes, said yeah. it was how he did it I think that made it almost inevitable that he was going to get sent off and he should have known. There's also a dispute, really, because, like I said, I was very close. I didn't see the alleged him throwing a bottle at a linesman once. Not once. So I'm not saying they're lying. I'm just saying I didn't see that, and I haven't seen any evidence of it yet. But maybe it'll come to light in the coming weeks. I'm not too sure. Stan, so what's funny about the um, the clubs that you just mentioned there and the managers, um, they all have something in common, and they're all top sixes. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to be all conspiracy theory about it, but it goes in hand with what I'm about to say next. So... Um, there's a lot of whataboutery going on which is quite hard to ignore at the moment from other clubs and when you see we're moving on to the Mitrovic situation now of what happened um, and him pushing 
the ref with his shoulder well sorry with his elbow has actually been compared to a lot with Bruno Fernandes and you know one rule for a big club another rule for us and I just want to know where you stand on that and um because it's obviously just being talked about constantly at the moment well firstly I don't think there's a conspiracy theory against Fulham I you know I don't think that the fact that we are little old Fulham has contributed to us getting a red card and let's say if this was to happen to Man United for example they wouldn't get a red card Obviously, people are pointing out that Bruno Fernandes incident, and I've watched that video a few times just to kind of understand the context of, of that. And yes, he does gently push the linesman, but there is no direct aggression towards the linesman following that. There's no shouting in his face. There is no squaring up to him. There's there's none of that afters that, that comes with it. It was just pushing him out of the way and then getting on with the game. Not saying you know that's that's why he didn't get sent off, but mm. it's not the same situation. What Mitro did is it is, is it's unacceptable. It was a red card. You do you simply do not push a referee like that. You can disagree with him. Um, I don't want to say you can shout at him because you can't even. You shouldn't really shout at them. You shouldn't hurl abuse at them. You can have disagreements with them, but you don't. You just don't push them. You don't make physical contact with them. They are there to officiate the game. They are there to make sure that the game, you know, can play, you know, from start to finish. Yes, they might get. They may get some decisions wrong, and he did get some decisions wrong. It, it does happen, but you just don't. You don't do that, and he did rightfully get sent off. And you know, this is what I mentioned. Earlier. This is kind of the part two of the act. What has happened since then? is where we can maybe start to defend Mitro a bit and start to defend what happened. But the action itself, it was, you know, it was unacceptable and it was a red card and he will rightfully get an extended ban. What do you think went through Mitrovic's head there, Tom? Because we say that, you know, Mitro, Marcus Silva is the cause, you think, the main problem here. And I actually agree, of course, and I think it's just a series of unfortunate events. I, you almost wish, actually, that Willian had just let the ball go in and then none of this would have actually happened. Sure, they would have equalised 1-1, but it could have been a much better game, a better result. But I don't, I'm not convinced that Mitrovic does anything that he does without Marco being sent off first. I think his head's gone by that point, because usually we're used to seeing Mitrovic talk to referees with his hands over his mouth, looking quite um, hard done by, but never... I have, You know, this is his first red card uh, for us, and there's a bit of a media witch hunt for him at the moment going on that this is very typical of Mitrovic when he hasn't actually had a red card in five years. And it's just very... There's a lot of almost gaslighting going on, in my opinion, of spades being called battle axes and I know it's out of order and I know it's not a good look and he should be banned or suspended but the 10 game talk and just the general use of words such as assault and comparing it to Cantonar Kung Fu kicking people it just it's getting all a bit a bit much I've asked you about five questions there sorry but just generally your thoughts and all well, look, 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 I mean, I think there's a difference between the real world and Twitter sure. and the real world. And I think we should always bear that in mind, um, you know, and uh, but the, the way in which um, the uh, football commentary works these days is that anyone can have an opinion and there's plenty of outlets and you have the more outrageous your opinion, the more likely it is to get noticed and shared and everything else. And that is a big part of it. And frankly, that um, uh, Referees Association uh, statement talking about an assault was ridiculous, utterly ridiculous. Um, 
I don't think that's going to have very any impact at all on the on the eventual outcome. However, okay. um, what I do think is unfortunate for Fulham and unfortunate for Mitrovic is that the context of this is not about us being necessarily not a top six club. Um, it's about when it's happened during the course of a season um, and after the Fernandes event. I know talking to uh, referees that um, there was amongst the refereeing sort of fraternity if I use that term there was quite a lot of annoyance that there, that there, there wasn't an opportunity for Fernandes to be punished for manhandling the linesman in that game and I watched that game on TV and you could see he was just really annoyed that they played so badly and he was petulant he was asking to be subbed and he and it was frustration yeah. rather than aggression but it doesn't matter whether it's frustration rather than aggression it was the same thing uh, manhandling an official he shouldn't do it um but because it wasn't punished at that time, there wasn't an opportunity for there to be uh, a way in which that could be picked up upon in the same way that, that, that you know, obviously if you get sent off and then it's deemed not to be the, the three-match violent conduct ban isn't deemed to be sufficient as that, that can happen in there for all. So that was the first thing. So the, op- the second thing is that <clears throat> we know that... Um, and I've seen the figures on this, you know, there's a real lack of grassroots referees. People are not doing it. Part of the reason they're not doing it or not sticking with it, even if they go through the um, the training and everything else, is because of abuse and because of uh, the way in which, even with kids' football, some parents interact with them and grassroots football. And it's a pretty horrible thing. So you, there's, there's a real concern about that. Um, we've seen post-pandemic that there seems to be more uh, more of an atmosphere of of, of abuse generally um, and intolerance and that feeds into it as well and all of this is the reason why this is important in the context is that um, there I, I am sure and I feel uh, pretty sure that uh, the football authorities um, will be wanting to make an example yeah. the fact that it's Mitrovic is because it was Mitrovic that got sent off then if that if that had happened in one of the earlier games that day, you know, say if um, a, a Sheffield United player or a Blackburn player had reacted to something that happened in that first game on the Sunday and done it, they would have been being made an example of. It's not because it's Fulham. It's not necessarily even because it's Mitrovic. It's because it's happened at a time when there is uh, a big uh, concern and debate and discussion in football generally about um, refereeing, about the abuse that happens for referees. And we've got caught in the middle yes. of it, which is the bit that I think is unfortunate. As for, you know, would it have happened if Marcus Silva hadn't been sent off? I'm not sure it would. It felt to me as though at that point, you know, he'd lost his head, he'd been sent off. All the, you know, the the players were sort of a mixture of shocked, angry and distraught at what had just happened. He reacted. He often goes and talks to the referee. You see it all the time. And quite often, you can see what happens. The referee tells him to go away and he goes yeah. away. You might get booked, you might not. Um, I suspect that's probably what happened this time. I think when people have been trying to analyse it, I think it looked like Chris Kavanagh probably told him to go away. And he, he did, hadn't finished making his point. And he did the thing he shouldn't have done, which is it doesn't matter that he didn't, he didn't push him. He didn't pull him over. He basically, you know, shoved his elbow slightly to try and get his attention. But he still made, he still made contact with the referee. And then what he did after that, you know, waving his finger in the face of the referee... Um, Unfortunately for him, for us, for the club, um, you can see exactly why uh, a longer ban than three matches is is not just uh, to be expected, but is justified. Unfortunately, yeah. I, I made the. Call-
comment earlier in the uh, Fulham Focus group chat where I said that Mitrovic isn't the scapegoat, this incident is the scapegoat, and it just so happens to involve Mitrovic and unfortunately Fulham. Um, and you know that's pretty much what you summarised there, Tom. And you know I, pl- I play Sunday League football, so I can see firsthand grassroots referees, and I cannot understand who would want to be a referee at Sunday League. You wake up on a Sunday morning, you get paid, I think, about fifty pound, maybe a bit more, and the level of abuse that gets thrown at you—it's just—it's—it's it's not worth it. And you know, I've seen them get abused. I've seen them being threatened in the car parks after games. And this is Sunday League football, and it's not just the players; it's just mates who come along and watch on the sidelines. And it happens on my team. It happens on the opposition team. And it's a real deep-rooted issue that you know is happening in the game. And uh, we need to make it clear: we're not suggesting that. Mitrovic is responsible for people abusing referees on the sideline at Sunday League and grassroots level. He he's not he's not the reason for that, but because of what he did, the FA kind of don't have any choice but to make an example of him because of what he did. You know he, you know, as Tom mentioned, he did they didn't punch him, he didn't shove him. It, it was by all means just a gentle kind of push, but because of that. And because it happened to a Premier League player in an FA Cup quarter-final game that was on terrestrial TV that involved Manchester United, which means a lot of people would have watched that, you can't not do anything. You need to do something. And yeah. like I said, it's unfortunate that it just happened to be us. But the argument, the argument of uh, there are children watching this kind of bothers me slightly because, yes, there are children watching it. And yes, they, we should be looking up to these footballers. But children are also watching him get sent off immediately. Uh, for what he did, and 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 he was punished completely for for what he did. But obviously, his reactions afterwards are the sticking point. Um, and you know, I, I'm, he's just going to be painted as this villain of the referee Justice League movie, and it, it's gonna it's gonna hurt. And I, I don't know where this leaves Mitrovic because personally, I don't know how we we still don't know how long his ban's gonna be. And I'm concerned that he might have had enough of this uh, in general because that I mean Tristan, for instance, who's obviously big on Serbian, big on Serbian football and, and just makes the comment to me uh, recently that he thinks that Mitrovic might want out from this. Um, if he is banned for 10 games, that means he's only got one game left. That'll be against Manchester United. Um, but I think potentially he could get the rest of the season. Um, and it just, it would be really heartbreaking, Tom, if this is the this is the final time we see one of the most loved players, not even strikers, players that Fulham has ever had. And I'm really concerned that this this will be a real damning last memory that we have of him. And I'm I'm trying not to do manga too much about it, but it's just something that uh, I'm afraid has made me think quite quite pessimistically. Yeah, and look, I can you can sort of understand how uh, 24 48 hours afterwards that he might be feeling like that. He could be feeling like that. Um, you know, despite everything I've said. Um, I hope that you know the reflection on this will be that it isn't so much about him, yeah, as about an incident that happened, as you just said, in a high-profile game. When we know that actually the next time an incident like that happened, that there was going to there was likely to be uh, quite a, a, a significant response to that in terms of the football authorities, um, and that 
you know, the best thing that can happen, I hope, is that however long the bands are for, you know, touchline band for uh, Marco Silva, the, 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 the additional more than three matches that Mitrovic is obviously going to get now, um, that, that can be a time of reflection that we can come back. Do you have any that, predictions having... on what you think it might be? Do you think it will be the 10? Just interested, basically. Yeah, I, I, it's really hard to judge because there, there aren't particular precedents, really. I mean, people have tried to sort of say, well, look at what that De Canio, and that was an 11-game ban, but that was in 1998, exactly, I think. Yeah. You know, a long time ago. And, um, you, know, the, the, you know, you've had people talking about, it's a, like, as you said in the introduction, akin to... Uh, uh, Eric Cantona and Kung, the Kung Fu, Kung, Kung Fu Kick. That's probably going to have to be um, censored. That sorry about that. Um, on a fan, that is, um, you know, it's obviously not that um, at all. I, I, I think probably that um, it will be. Uh, it will take him. It'll probably be. I, re, I imagine probably nine or ten games. I think. I think it's going to be something like that. So it'll either take him to the end of the season or just before the end of the season. Mm. Um, I don't think you're going to get like a six month ban or anything uh, anything like that and um, but it's still going to be tough you know it's, it's finished our season obviously um, fortunately for us it's finished our season at a point which we're not going to get relegated as a result of it um, uh, and I hope that you know it's, as you say it's his first sending off in a Fulham shirt it's his first club sending off I think for seven years so five years with us and a couple of years before so it's not um, you know hopefully it's will be a, a as harsh as it's been a learning experience for the player and for the club um, and that you know we can we can start afresh next season with him doing as well as he did for the first part of this season where if you look back over those stats he didn't get booked that often and scored a lot of goals you know and played significantly better than I've ever seen him play both in not just in goal scoring but also in his um, assists and, and wider setup play and he's looked to me in that first half of that or the first hour of that game on Sunday to be back to what he was like at the start 100%. of the season. Um, again. Yeah, I, I, I think it can go either one or two ways obviously depending on the ban. It feels that Mitrovic, if <laughs> he could say that I've had enough now, I've given as much as I can to Fulham and I feel like public enemy number one in England now being made an example of for you know everything that's wrong about poor referees uh, or abuse to referees or it might actually encourage him to stay with us and you know feel like he owes us one after letting us down because at the end of the day as angry and as frustrated the three of us can get he let us down Marcus Silva let us down and I'm not going to blame Willian at all actually I think that's an accidental but th those two are the ones that let us down and they cost us potentially a final we could have beaten Brighton we've beaten them twice this season and and it's it, we could have beaten them a third so it's 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 really unfortunate another thing that can go one or two ways oh no go on then go on Tom the other thing I was going to say is look we're at the centre of a storm as we're talking and obviously all of us because Fulham's the centre of our of our lives and our footballing lives but you know, in football more widely, in the next few days, there'll be something else that will come along. There'll be other things, there'll be controversies about other things, yeah. you know, be that international or other things or, you know, Roy Hodgson, whatever it is, you know. So the caravan of the of the constant commentary of, you know, people on talk sport and everything else throwing around their their uh, views like confetti, that will move on from it. Yeah. And I think that will probably, there'll be, a, there'll be obviously be a point of reflection when the, when the hearing happens and the ban happens. But, you know, I, I I hope, and I'm you know I'm reasonably confident that actually there are enough good people around him and around the club to be able to 
help settle things down at that point when when it can be settled. Yeah, down. I completely agree. And I think actually, I'm really desperate for fish and chip paper to happen now. I think it's very unfortunate that uh, it, the international break is happening. Um, I just I just want us to play Bournemouth tomorrow, and and we can just hopefully get a win or or and some positive things can come out of that, and and we can just start thinking about actually pushing for a top ten finish. I mean, Sato, I was just about to say, what do you think? I've mentioned obviously the the contrast that can happen between Mitrovic. He can use this as a a leaving note or as a, I'm going to do more for you note. How do you think the players will respond to this? Because there seems to be good strong culture and characters in the dressing room. Some good messages from their Instagram accounts, etc. And I just you, you, we can really push on for this. We the, our season isn't necessarily fully over, is it? No, no, not in the slightest. Um, I've spent a good deal of this pod criticising what Silva and Mitrovic did and now I think it's time to look at or actually it's time to defend them a bit and and this relates to your question in the sense that what has happened since then it's been a media onslaught and it's kind of to be expected it's what the media does they find whatever controversial moment happened at the weekend they get highly opinionated people onto it and just get them to spout all kinds of rubbish and controversial opinions because that's what makes headlines. It's what gets people talking. It's what, yeah, it's it's how modern media works. Uh, it's how media's always worked, to be fair. Um, and it's a really it's really horrible seeing that as a Fulham fan because what Mitro did was wrong. We can be angry at him. We can be annoyed at him. But then for everyone to jump on the bandwagon and to kind of make him out as, as this bogeyman that's not on I mean what he did was wrong if you watch it back it's not actually that bad it's still wrong and he will still get what he deserves but it's not but no it's that not that bad, bad. It's, it's it's no different from what most players do every week when they crowd the referee and shout in his face mm-hmm. the only difference is that he initiated that physical contact and took it that little bit further it's no different from what players do, from what most of the players do so what I can hope the team can get from this is that they see everyone ganging up on Mitrovic and ganging up on Fulham and they can create almost this kind of siege mentality, this us against them um, attitude that we can take forward into these next games. Being like, right, yeah, Mitrovic is a bad thing, but you know, leave him alone. Right, we, 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 we're not going to take this from anyone else. We're just going to crack on. We're going to play our game. We're going to play our football. You know, fuck what everybody else thinks and we're just going to go ahead and play and play that game and I'm hoping we can channel that into how we approach games and how we can play obviously without taking it too, you know not without taking it too far you know not getting too aggressive but you know finding that good balance of that little bit of fire in us that can carry us through for these last you know 10 games of the season or 11 games mm. I think um, it could also. I mean, the other the other thing I'm worried about being me is that we could also have a huge hangover from this and uh, plummet down a little bit. But we won't go down, as Tom was saying. Uh, we're we're practically safe, and that's great. But Tom, uh, do you have any? Just going back to the instance, just one last time, because do you think we'll see Chris Kavanagh as a as a referee again in the our games for the rest of the season, or ever again at all? Or do you think they'll the the referees? Unite will just say, no, you can't play, we'll do a fun game again. I suspect that PGMOL won't appoint him to another Fulham fixture this season. Yeah. I mean, they're not stupid. Um, I, I suspect 
expect they won't do that. Um, I'm not sure whether he'll be actually on the Premier League um, list next season because his marks, as I understand it, this season been, have put him pretty much at that point at which he may be he may be demoted in any case, and you know. Um, then he can uh, go and ruin QPR's fans' weeks instead of yeah. ours, and that's fine. I, th- I think um, this... on that on that subject. Yeah, go on, mate. Sorry, uh, if he might be demoted, are there actually championship refs who could be promoted because the standard in the championship isn't much better? Like, are... well, you know, I watch quite a lot of League One football, and there are some pretty terrible refs there as well. But um, uh, you know, maybe they have to import a few more from Australia and other places as they've done recently. But yeah, I look. Referees, top-level referees, they have a huge amount of scrutiny of their performance during the games in lots of different aspects. They go into really minute detail that you would never, unless you knew about it, you would never really appreciate. Um, And I don't think we should be under any illusion. And I know, again, I've read some of this today and yesterday on social media, this idea there's a, you know, referees conspiracy and everything else that he will be judged for the other things in that first part of that game, his performance, the things that he got wrong, as with, in as much detail as they are always judged and marked, and that will have an impact. Um, and so I think a combination of those two reasons, I think we're unlikely to see him refereeing a Fulham game for a while. Um, and I think that's probably for the best. Yeah. I, I, I do like the idea of... Um... All the fans singing. This is online, apparently. The, you know, Mitro's on fire. Chris Gavana is terrified. That'd be quite, quite, quite amusing. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I echo all of that, and I, I feel like it'll be interesting to see how the fans at the cottage and away will just be. I imagine we'll be singing Mitro until he, he returns, yeah. and we'll support him in all ways possible. And and Marcus Silva. I mean, I guess that now it's looking at Louis Boamorte and him stepping up on the in the in the manager's box and also Solomon who will now start on the left and Carlos Vinicius who I love <laughs> who will now be taking Mitchell's uh, place for quite a few games Stato I mean I guess that that will be have to be our lineup for the for the remainder of the season and hopefully we can actually get a top 10 finish yeah I mean looking forward now we are quite fortunate that you know we're not going to get relegated and realistically we shouldn't finish any lower than 11th judging at the gap between the teams there but you never know um, how teams might do if we come really bad or if, we come, if other teams come really good but we should finish, no, finish any lower than 11th so we are quite fortunate now that we have just these games and not that we can just kind of coast towards the finish but we're going to want to win those games but you know it will be interesting to see what will happen um, with Boa I imagine it will just be a case of Silva will be there with a telephone in the stands on the phone to him for the whole game as you, as you see yeah. um, all the time with managers in the stands not much will change there Solomon he was already kind of starting all, anyway um, whilst Williams been out injured so I wouldn't imagine much change there although you know there might be opportunity for Dan James or Harry Wilson to kind of you know try and make an impact um, which they haven't done at all this season but the main thing will be uh, Vinicius up top Obviously, he's had a, quite a bit of scrutiny from fans this year. Some of it warranted, some of it not warranted. But it would actually be quite interesting to see what he can do in a good run of games. You know, Winnable games too. Winnable games. Um, a lot of the time, that the teams he's been playing in have been when we in earlier rounds of the Cup where we've been playing largely our second string side. So it would be interesting to see how he fits in, into a team that is our, essentially a fully you know, full-strength team. 
will he you know be as effective will he create chances like Mitro does will he you know get on the end of them it would be it will be interesting to see and you know I'm, I'm hoping he can actually have a good positive impact and you know he can actually prove a few of the doubters wrong but I think what's what's good is he will get as you say he will he will certainly get an opportunity of a run of games uh, provided he doesn't get injured actually, um, which he hasn't had um and I don't think he's as bad a player as sometimes um, people uh, people say, really. And you know, you've got to remember that that Chelsea that game against Chelsea where he came in um, in a in a pretty much full strength side, with that exception. You know, I thought he played pretty well that game, not just the goal, but um, more widely than that in that game. And you know, runner games, he may be able to uh, prove that he's got. Uh, he'll be playing for. You know, for next season, you know, is, is he going to be good enough to be part of that squad next season? So he's got an incentive. I'm not sure how many games Willian will be out for. I'm not sure. Is it? I thought it might only be one. But I maybe think I'm it is the one. That. I thought so, I was worried it was three, but I think it's the one. Stato, can you confirm that at all? I think it's. The... I I'm in the same boat as you guys. I've heard one, but I, straight red's normally three. But uh, because it wasn't a malicious tackle, it might be one. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I think straight red for a handball and a goal scoring opportunity is one. But okay. So, but either way, even if it's three, he's not going to be out for as long as uh, as long as Mitrovic, obviously. So, um, it's, it's so it's a real opportunity for, for Vinicius. Um, uh, you know, I I don't know whether you thought that thought, thought this as well, Jeremy. But at the end of the game uh, on Sunday, you know, when the players that were left on the pitch came over to applaud the mm-hmm. fans, you know, you could almost sense the sort of uh, dis- disappointment that they felt. You know, and I was looking particularly at Tim Ream. Yeah. Um, and, you know, thinking about it on the way home, I was slightly concerned that you know that that might mean that the uh, the team spirit might be um, diminished a bit as a result of that. But actually, the more I think about it, the more I think there there are strong enough characters in that group to be able to regroup and to refocus and to be able to say, yes, look, that was a complete mess of our own making. You know, big consequences, but we're not going to let that define our season or our club. Absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm still fairly hopeful that actually, despite the fact we haven't really got very much to play for, and despite the fact that quite a few of the teams that we're playing are in that bottom, whatever it is, bottom nine, who have obviously got something to play for and be scrapping for their lives, that we'll still be able to uh, beat our best ever points record in the Premier League. Um, and if not quite make Europe, certainly get close to it or certainly be in the hunt for it right till the end of the season. That'd be great. I mean, we played so well, you know, for the for, for the majority of that game. If we continue doing that, then I think we can probably finish eighth or ninth, maybe 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 more. But we'll, we'll see. It'll it'll be very interesting to see what happens now. But like I said, with the with the reaction of our players such as Polina and and Pereira and and Raymond Robinson, it, it's it was a it's going to be okay. I think it really is going to be okay. And it was very, it was a nice touch. You could see how quickly they wanted to get to us and applaud us at the end of the game, which is a, a, a really nice touch in, in, in despite all things. Um, I have to say the, our fans were amazing. Um, out, out, completely outsung that place. And I, I really can't stand Old Trafford now. It's just a bit of a tourist museum for me. I, um, I was, I was very happy to be there. I was lucky to be there, but at the same time, I don't think I'll be going back anytime soon. Um, it's, it will hurt too much. I think the memories of it. Um, well, you're not 
back from Mitrovic's comeback well, game. So may, maybe, maybe I will in that case if it is only ten matches. <laughs> if it is only ten matches, fucking loads. But if if, it, if he has got one last game against Man United, then might have to make the journey again because. Yeah, just want to see him back. I'll see who the referee is for that game before making that decision. Well, quite right, quite right too. <laughs> um, all right. Well, look, after this, we'll just um, we'll round up any other thoughts of the week, and we'll we'll end it there. Fulham. And so we'll just conclude all other business. I was just saying, actually, you're fair that we. I saw a tweet that someone, Shahid Khan, should go back in for Wembley and just tear it down just to piss the FA off. That'd be quite funny. Um, other news. I mean, you've got Roy Hodgson back to Palace. I just, I just wish, I just wish Hodgson would just retire in peace. To be honest, I don't know if he can deal with that kind of. Well, it might be all right. What are your thoughts? Do you think they'll they'll stay up under Hodgson's stato really quickly? Um. I think they'll stay up because there's three worse teams than them. I think Vieira got sacked under harsh circumstances. Yes, they were winless in 11 games, but you know, you look at the teams they were playing at the time, and then the fixtures that they got coming up. I think their last 11 games are eight of you know eight of the bottom ten. They they should you know they should pull away to safety with Roy's guidance. Um, Palace just pushed the panic button there, didn't they? They panicked massively, and yeah, Palace fans are annoyed that Roy's back because you know he, there's always the connotation that he plays boring football. But yeah, what he did at that Palace squad in, in you know his last few seasons was nothing short of a miracle. Like this, like those players he had to keep them up in the Premier League season after season was just classic Roy. So yeah, he'll he'll probably keep them up, but yeah, let let the man retire for goodness sakes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and another thing, Tom, I want to mention. I don't think any of the other pods have actually mentioned this yet. So maybe we might have first dibs here. Is that uh, there's a rumor that Chelsea want to do a share ground with Fulham, and obviously they're going to be looking at their Twickenhams and their um, Wembleys as well. Um, but for four years, and I don't know. I mean, just your thoughts on that? I can't see the Cans being. Uh, stupid enough for saying yes to that when they haven't even they haven't even managed to finish the ground yet for next season. It just seems to be a bit of a shambles, wouldn't it? Well, look, I think if it's going to happen, it'll be a long way off yet because Chelsea aren't going to vacate Anfield Bridge until they've got planning permission to do whatever they want to do. They haven't got any plans in. I suspect that'll be a long process getting that through planning, given they were, you know, some of the residents and others around the around that ground as well. So I think. Um, we're talking about a hypothetical that's that's some time yeah. off, uh, by which even Fulham should manage to be able to f- completely fit out and, and fill a stand. I would hope. <laughs> um, uh, whether whether then that might happen, I'm not sure. You know, because I think the whilst the London Borough of Hampton and Fulham as a, an entity might want to try to keep the uh, match day spend in the local area, which obviously would happen. Yeah. Um, I frankly, the pressure on numbers mean what's more likely to happen is that they would they would uh, decamp to Wembley, um, and you've had experience. Tottenham had experience of that of doing that. It, I mean, it wasn't great for the fans, but it was good enough, um, and it worked on the knowing that on the promise that what they were going to go back to. So I suspect it's more likely that that's what would happen. Um, and personally, I'd much. Although it might mean a you know a big income stream for Fulham potentially, I would much rather we didn't have a Chelsea fan sitting in my seat every other week. Thank you very grim, much. Wouldn't it? It'd be absolutely grim. Um, is it? Am I right in saying, Tom? Or have the Buckingham Group or the main contractors of the Riverside staff have they pulled out? Or there's just been a, some sort of absolute hoo ha about it of late. I don't know why. No. So Buckingham Group, as the main contractor, have finished their. 
bit of it. It's their contractors for, as I understand it, for the fit out. And I'm not sure for the exact reasons why that's taking a lot longer than it was envisaged. There are obviously delays related to, you know, during a COVID period of what you could do, but that that doesn't really explain the delays in the last year. I mean, I think, look, you know, in my day job, you deal with building infrastructure. Everything takes longer than anyone expects it to. Um, uh, and um, we are probably going to see that during the course of this of next season, gradually more of those seats will be opened up and the number that are being used is to do with the exit gates being able to be used. The exit gates can't be able to use until the construction is finished. Uh, and so that limits the capacity and the numbers that you're able to get in. Um, and I think we'll start to see during the course of the season some of the sort of premium hospitality bits of the ground start to be open and for those facilities to be sold. So I think it will be a gradual uh, process during the course of next season. But it does highlight actually, you know, the impact of that on our financial fair play room is quite significant because the, uh, the, the amount that's projected to come from effectively the centre bit of that stand uh, in terms of the hospitality and seasonal hospitality sponsorship, all the various different premium bits of the, of the ground is, is very, you know, it's a huge, it's a very high percentage of the overall match day revenue. And we're going to be without that for at least part of the next season when uh, when we had this conversation uh, a year ago we were talking about it being ready by the start of the season that we're about to go into it's going to be at least at least six months later than that now right, okay and I guess obviously that I mean, that can kind of hand into what I'm about to say with transfers with you know finance fair play uh, Stato it seems that Andreas Pereira is getting a few um a few likes from PSG and Chelsea, rumours for between 28 and 40 million euros. I mean, I I don't necessarily know if I buy that or not. I definitely wouldn't. I've seen some people say, absolutely bite your hands off for that sort of money. I think we have a big summer ahead of us and I think selling someone as core to the, the culture that Marcus Silva has created in terms of, you know, Portuguese speaking, Brazilian, etc., like would be a really big mistake. I mean, hypothetically, if you were to get offered forty million for Andreas Pereira, you'd you know it'd be hard to say no to that. Mm. But I think the reality of that happening is not it's not going to happen. He's only just got here to Fulham. Yes, he's had a good season for us. I wouldn't say he's had an outstanding season for big clubs like Chelsea and PSG to want to invest in him. That's not that's not you know saying he's not good enough for them, but. I would imagine they'll be after more high-profile targets. Mm. That, yeah, fair enough. Rather than, yeah, and and, and the other and the other well point that Sarge Mechi made on the group is that he's been loaned out so many times. The last thing he wants is just another change. So I think, yeah, I, I can't see that happening. Nor do I want it to really. Uh, I, I, th- I think, yeah, I think it's just it's, it's tabloid gossip. I think our main concern over the summer will be retaining. Palinia more than anything. Well, that, that's interesting because I think an article from Sports Mole or something like that, not necessarily the most trustworthy of sources, but apparently he's very happy here and um, wants to continue growing with Fulham. So that's that's a nice that's a nice bit of light at the end of yeah. the, the FA Cup tunnel, isn't it? That's alright. I think for as long as Silver's here, most players should stay and they shouldn't want to move on unless we get stupid bits coming in from you know super clubs, like let's say Man City bid. 70 million for Anthony Robinson. Well, yeah, we can't yeah, turn that. Unless something like, <laughs> yeah, unless something like that happens. Yeah, I think I think most players will be around next year, and it's just about adding to that squad, adding the quality, mm. um, and you know improving what we already have, and turning us from a team that 
is overachieving while being in the top half by and turning them into a team that is very firmly and solidly a top half Premier League team. Yeah. I, I've, I, the other thing I was going to mention, Tom and Stato, I don't know if you've noticed it, and I've mentioned this in the group, and it's such a boring thing to bring up, but I'm just going to do it. You can't buy a Fulham home shirt at the moment, and I feel like Adidas have held the club to ransom or something because I, I, I know we're, our contract with them is due up in the summer. We're going to change kit makers or something, but you can't actually buy any shirts at the moment. I don't know if that means... I, I just don't... I, I was really looking forward to buying one in the summer sale. Apparently not anymore. They've just got the really crap mint away one. The mint cornetto kit, which I really don't want. It's just so shit. Yeah, but that's got our unique interpretation. Of it. Oh, yes. The brickwork of Craven Cottage. Brickwork. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Absolute artistry. Complete, completely that. Oh, lad. Well, I think I'll end it there. It's been really good to talk to you. And as always, it's always actually very good therapy talking about the good times, but also actually very much the bad. It really helps release all the, the stress. And I'm exhausted looking at Twitter feeds of how outraged everyone is and it's just nice to have a good conversation with in real time which is always lovely I've just seen actually I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm honestly looking forward to the international break to be honest just just having a break yeah. from all this Premier League drama watching the international football yeah um, of course Craven Cottage will still be hosting football during this time oh great great <laughs> aren't they with the uh, England under 21s uh, who are they playing at the Cottage I can't well, Croatia Croatia yeah yeah uh, should be a good game. So I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be there and, um, you know, seeing if I can put in a word for Mitrovic in the in the ballroom. Oh, yes, good. All right. That'll be, that'll be nice, one, Tom. nice one. Actually, I just looked. Someone else is apparently one of our new nicknames for Fulham FC on Wikipedia. Someone's updated our nickname as the Crazy Gang. I don't mind that. That's quite funny. <laughs> so why not? You know, that's quite good. All right. That Victoria so, Sponge. Yeah, we're, we're slowly becoming hard men. I like it. Right. That's, thank you very much. Thank you very much to my guests and my co-hosts. Thank you very much to producer Don Love. If you like what we're here, please tell your friends about us. And we're on all the social media outlets and pod outlets and we'll be back we'll be back with a preview for Bournemouth away on April Fool's Day next week see you then bye Fulham